0: From growingfuturesrhodeisland.org and the Rhode Island Nursery and Landscape Association, this is the Growing Futures podcast. I'm your host, Christy Milligan, inviting you to grow your future. Please join me as I sit down with owner operator of Wild and Scenic Gardens, Megan Gallagher. Megan takes a holistic approach to fine gardening and maintaining landscapes. I caught up with Megan in South Kingstown, Rhode Island at her home office. Okay, so if you'll just say your name, your company, and your position. My name is Megan Gallagher. The company's name is Wild & Scenic. Wild & Scenic services customers all over Rhode Island, Eastern Connecticut, and Massachusetts. Fun fact, Megan was also my boss for a number of years while I worked on her fine gardening crew and served as one of her crew leaders. I consider her a great friend and mentor of mine, so it was really amazing to get to interview her on a professional level. Let's jump to the interview where we chat about her path to being a business owner. Okay, so I think my first question for you is, do you think that you have always been drawn to working in the horticultural industry or with plants? Was that something like from a young age you felt a connection to?
1: Yeah, so I would say from a young age, I felt connected to nature. I had absolutely no idea that it would be, it would lead to a career working outside I had no idea this career even existed as yeah. an option.
0: So how did you figure out that this was a career option? What happened along the lines for you that opened up this door then?
1: I think like so many people in college, in early years of college, they're not necessi- they don't necessarily know what they want to be. I, by accident, took biology class that my now friend and mentor taught. And so I just sort of fell in love with the teacher and was able to go work for her in like in a garden type setting. And it was at that moment that I really felt like I had done this before. Like it felt very natural and I had an intuitive sense about it.
0: That's awesome. So who was your mentor? Sue Gordon. Okay.
1: Kinesi Gardens. Yeah. Yeah, so I worked there for 12 years. I mean, I just loved it. I loved how she saw the landscape as a living, breathing being. Everything was connected, and that was really cool. And every plant was something, was someone, right? There was really no such thing as a weed, there were invasives, but everyone, every plant had a name, had a purpose, and to me that was really cool. And it was just a matter of understanding, you know, the different microclimates within that garden setting and what plants thrived and what plants wanted to be next to each other. and.
0: So you did say that you... Fell into this class, this biology class in school. What were you originally going to school for then? I did
1: two years of maybe, like, psychology and communications. And then I took a couple years off because I knew I actually wanted to work outside. I knew I did not want to be inside. I had all these jobs lined up during the summer that were going to make me just stay inside. So I went to go work for Handrigans, which is a... Fish company, so I worked as a dock worker unloading fishing boats, (laughs) which was kind of hilarious. And that obviously wasn't sustainable, although I really loved like the manual labor part of it. And then I ended up coming back to school to do because I was really interested in nutrition. I had been a vegetarian and a vegan for a while, and I just liked the whole nutrition and health type thing. And so I realized I would have to take a lot of chemistry for that, and I didn't want to take any chemistry. (laughs) Chemistry really scared me. But biology, this biology class that I took, because you had to take a biology class, I mean, that was so easy for me.
0: Yeah.
1: That really was where it was at. So that's when I switched. Okay. It was that Botany for Gardeners class taught by Sue Gordon that I switched to horticulture.
0: Gotcha. Not
1: even really knowing what it was. Yeah. Not even really understanding what horticulture meant. And at the time, the degree was horticulture and turf grass management. So my classes were heavy on turf, which I didn't like. I, you know, looking back at that program, there was a lot that there was a lot that I didn't like and that I don't use now.
0: Yeah. So after you got your degree in horticulture, um, I know a little bit about you, so (laughs) Um, I know you didn't stop there, but did you, you took a break between horticulture and your master's, right?
1: I worked as a horticulturalist. Yes, I was a gardener for, So yeah, I would say from the day I started with Sue, I was a gardener from then on.
0: And so you just worked for Sue mostly for those before you went back to school or? Well, no, I worked
1: down at Wineter in Delaware, which is a DuPont estate Um, it was an old, it was the largest working dairy farm in the forties. So it, and of the DuPont estates in the Brandywine Valley, it was the most naturalized. So as opposed to a place like Longwood Gardens, which is the world renowned display garden. Yeah. was much more naturalized, you know, big sweeps of natives.
0: And so then you go on after that and you get your master's in environmental science, right? Yeah,
1: conservation biology, yeah.
0: Yeah. And so that took you where in your career? You left horticulture for a while, right? Mm. And then what what did you do with that?
1: So, yeah, I graduated again from URI with a MESM degree, Master's of Environmental Science Management. And I went to work for a private consulting firm that works specifically with the energy industry. And so I thought it would be cool, like, you know, with this whole solar stuff. Like, I thought it was going to be a little bit more progressive than it was. Um, But basically, they had hired me as a biologist to delineate wetlands that were going to be destroyed by a pipeline that was going to go through them. So I basically was measuring wetlands that were going to be destroyed. And I had to calculate that area so that they could somehow mitigate it. Because you have to mitigate right. "quote unquote"
0: the damage you're doing. Exactly. Right. So that still was the job outside, right? So it's still something well. That- I was. They were sending me
1: to like random places in Ohio because you they would literally draw a line from Pennsylvania to Texas, and this is where the pipeline is going. And so it would be. I would be in remote places all along this area, like all along that line in whatever state: Kentucky, Ohio, Texas delineating wetlands. So that part was outside, but otherwise I was in like on the 15th floor of a huge building in Providence. Business casual. Yeah.
0: Like not. So not what you were. Yeah. And
1: then in the office I was permitting, you know, wild and scenic rivers actually, which is how I got my (laughs)
0: business name. That's so funny. Yeah. That was the inspiration. So you did get something good. (laughs) (laughs) So then I guess explain to me, well, I think I know, like I can tell it wasn't really like what you had kind of thought it was going to be. Right. Right. I I feel like I'm hearing from you. So then was that the push for you to like go back into nature? Is that why you kind of created your own business or?
1: It was a really nice spring. I think I worked at this consulting firm for like nine months and it was a beautiful spring. Like it was like, March was beautiful. April was like, you know, looking like it was going to be beautiful. So I think April 1st, I gave my two weeks and I had, what was I driving? A Jeep Cherokee. And this is the stupidest idea. What are you just going to quit your job and start gardening? Like you don't have any clients. And so what was really great about probably the most beneficial thing about my education at URI was the connections I made. I was exposed to so many amazing people. And so those are the people that helped me connect with clients in the area. So I think, yeah, I started, yeah, I quit my job. I don't remember what really I was doing in between, but I remember I mean, I got Higginbotham that June.
0: Yeah. And
1: then from there on, it just was...
0: You said Raf said, had one piece of advice. Did you talk to Sue? Did she say anything to you that like... I don't think
1: I talked to many people about quitting my job and starting... I think I just did it. You just did it. But that's how I run my company, is is, it's all intuition. Yeah. I just, it's just intuitive.
0: Yeah. You just have like that business sense about you.
1: Well, I don't know that it's a business sense so much as it's just intuition. Yeah. Of knowing what to do and how to how to do it.
0: Yeah.
1: And sometimes I'm wrong, but never so it's never been so catastrophic that it's like, oh, maybe I should really start running some numbers. Like never has it ever been
0: yeah.
1: like that.
0: Yeah. Well, so now you have this company. What do you would you started eventually hiring employees, right? What did you look for in employees that you were thinking about hiring?
1: In the beginning, I just was looking for anybody who would work. And that happened to be two young women who were going to college. So working part time in the summer was perfect. I only had, I ended up getting a truck because I only had the one vehicle. So they worked two days a week and they fell in the same day. So it was great. Those two days, three of us would go out and we do massive amounts of work compared to just me going out by myself. Yeah. So I would plan like the big planting projects and stuff with them.
0: And so there is this aspect to your business, right? That where I feel like you do hire a lot of women or mostly women, or if not all women, like most of your crews are usually right. That's how they end up. Yeah. I is that, I was gonna say, is that <laughs> an intentional thing? Or
1: what? No, no, it's not. I mean, this probably isn't usable, although it's not necessarily off the record, but I've tried to hire men. I think the longest running time I've employed a guy would be six months. Yeah. That's the longest they've lasted. And I've had people work for years. Yeah. Like women who've worked for years over and over again. So what do
0: you think the qualities are in a person that they need to do this job, do it well, or be successful, you know, be that longevity type of employee, like like what qualities did they share maybe?
1: So the ones that lasted understand self-care. It's a physical job. So we have to... Know how to take care of yourself and know how to ask for help, but also know how to develop strength, right? Yeah. And and not just physical strength, but also mental strength because there's times of the year where fine gardening can be pretty tedious if it's not something you like to do. So understanding that, having a good... Also, the elements as well. You're out in the rain, in the cold... It's either raining, cold, hot, buggy, too sunny. I mean, there's like one day in June that's like a perfect day to be outside. <laughs> <laughs> you know? The rest, you're really dealing with the elements. And that can take a toll on people, especially if they've never done it before. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And how, what will, so you clearly like that. Like, do you, is there certain aspects of that that you like? Because you, I mean, that's what you're doing. So do you, do you personally like
1: Yeah, I mean, the weather gives me energy. All different weather gives me energy. I feel energized by being in the elements.
0: Yeah. And what about seasonality of the job? Like, how do you feel about that? Is that something that you love about the job, or is it something that is tough for you?
1: It's a lifestyle. So like when I get new people who are, when I have new people that are, they're new to the industry, I explain to them that it's a lifestyle. Like you have to be able to cope with the winter. You have to figure out what you're gonna do because there's no gardening happening. Some winters are shorter than others, but still, I mean, it's at least two months off. (laughs) <laughs> and that can be really tough for people.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, financially if you're not able to save during the the year, but also mentally.
0: Yeah. So what do you do during the winter? Like what are some of the things that you do to like keep yourself mentally sane and busy and I mean I know you have Usually of- too much.
1: <laughs> I need to be doing less. <laughs> I need to be doing the nothing.
0: <laughs> okay, so what are the favorite things that you've taken that time for then?
1: Um I mean a lot of people travel. I mean I'll do some traveling. I know gardeners that will go down to BVI for the whole of the of the winter.
0: Yeah.
1: And I'm not sure how they do that if they're independently wealthy or what. You know, that's part of the lifestyle of, is just not having a lot of responsibilities, yeah. right? So they don't have a house, they rent or they fig- you know, they figure it out or they live with their parents or you know, they figure out some sort of way to do that. I was never able to really do that because I I never got, like, financial support from anyone ever.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. So it was constantly just trying to keep ahead. And then once the business took off, I did a lot of business work and the yeah, so planning I, and stuff. Maybe
0: describe what it looked like when you first started versus what your day looks like now.
1: It hasn't changed that much. The volume of work has increased but I've also increased my workforce. I have a little bit more freedom now, finally, in the day uh but this it took seven years. I mean, you know it takes a long time yeah to develop that i mean for a long time, I was just a slave to this business.
0: yeah. talk about the slave slavery part like what exactly did do you do like Let's talk about fine gardening and what it actually is, right? So, like, maybe... Something oh, the
1: fine gardening was great. It was yeah. running the business that was the... That's, sl- that's the slave. That's, the slave. Yeah. that's slave labor, running your business. <laughs> you can become a slave. Because
0: <laughs> okay, well, so you what?
1: have the clients and you have your employees. And then you have... that. You know, at some point you get... You buy more vehicles, you know? It's almost like more money, more problems.
0: Yeah, wait, I think somebody said that once... <laughs> Okay, well, so let's talk about the gardening part. Let's talk about the fine gardening part. And like you said, that's the best part. Like, tell me about what your day looks like when you're out in the field.
1: I love the pruning. I mean, I love it when I can just like go through a landscape and prune what needs to be pruned. That's probably like my favorite at this point. It's also what I'm really good at. It's tough for me to stay on task as a business owner, So because you're just pulled in so many directions. Yeah. And so I call myself the ADD gardener, because I just I can't stay on task. And even though I would love to weed all day, it's not an efficient use of my time. Yeah. So there are plenty of days where I w- w- just wish that I was an employee of my business. <laughs> And that I could just tell myself to weed all day without yeah. any interruptions. But there's always so many other things. So it
0: takes a lot of, like, what, time management skills, right? Do you think that that um, this job takes a lot of time management skills, not just as a business owner, but probably also as, like, an employee?
1: Oh, yeah. The crew has to manage their time.
0: Okay, so I guess now to get, like, more personal about what specifically brings you joy from this like what about gardening or like your finished product like i guess anything any part of it like what brings you joy out of what you're doing right now
1: so a couple things i really love when the clients start to really appreciate the life in their gardens so i try and stick to a lot of natives and you know pollinator friendly plants and it really is amazing when I get a text or an email from a client saying how much they loved seeing all the butterflies and like that kind of insect wildlife and the birds and things like that hummingbirds and stuff that's really cool that's when I know I'm like making a difference and the other joy is I really love it when my employees love what they're doing and feel really satisfied with the work that they're doing and are really proud of what they're doing. Yeah. That to me is like so huge. When I have a great crew that appreciates this kind of work and wants to make the clients happy and make the environment better, that's like fulfills a purpose in me. And it's why I continue to grow my business and I want to grow for employees. I want to bring on more employees so that we can do more of this awesome work.
0: So do you think that your degree, like your environmental science degree, your horticultural degree has shaped the way you choose to run your business or be a fine gardener? Do you think like what you've learned through that has made you you know, make certain choices that maybe set you apart from other businesses?
1: Yes and no. I think I think more and more gardeners are turning into environmentalists as well. I mean, you'll always have the gardener that's old school, English cottage garden, not concerned about natives, you know, just really concerned with the aesthetic and, and will please the co- client at you know, whatever cost. Um, but I think more and more people are, are opening up to the fact that we are stewards of the land. And even if it is high-end residential, you know, private mansion type setting, that there's still opportunity to be creative with the highest intentions for the environment. You can have both.
0: Yeah. Oh, I totally agree. Yeah. I, to- I mean, I've seen it.
1: I've mm. seen
0: it. I've seen you do it, so. <laughs> I don't know why. I'm do you sorry. Cr- do I- you cry at all the <laughs> interviews? <laughs> I did yesterday, though, too. It's so embarrassing. Um, so, I guess I was going to ask, Did did your mentor play a role in that as well? Do you think that she really inspired that idea in you or do you think there's always something maybe a little bit of both
1: yeah I would say a little bit of both I mean Sue's complete hard ass on natives and you know she is extreme. I've learned to soften that sort of radical thinking that everything has to be native and because there is a balance, there's still a balance. I mean, you can, because you can have both. And so part of it, I, you know, I'm still very much the environmentalist, but I've had to learn to manage expectations of clients. And I've had to learn how to educate them in a way that is not preachy and that connects to their level. And, and that took time. So I had to actually go from one extreme to the other and then find my way back to the middle because I was trying to survive, you know, yeah. I was trying to grow this business. And so you do what, you know, I was a yes person. Yeah. You know, I was a yes person. Uh, very rarely did I say no. And I tried not to educate for a long time because I was sounding preachy. Yeah. I had to really cultivate that communication because yeah. it wasn't na- that part was not natural for me. Right. What's your favorite plant to use in the landscape? Do you
0: have one? <laughs> that's a really hard question.
1: That's a hard question. I know. So the my favorite plant that is on a couple of my jobs, which I you know I get really excited when I see it on jobs, is calicanthus. It's the first plant that I bought for myself
0: uh-huh. and planted for myself. See, that's good. That's that makes yeah. sense. Yeah. I love that. So, what would you say? To the parents of a high school student that might be interested in getting into the green industry, what would your advice to them be? Hmm. You know,
1: you want your kids to be successful. And
0: I think in a lot
1: of parents' minds, success equals financial success. Right. Right? They're, we've completely eradicated emotional growth and emotional teaching, how to deal with our emotions, how to be emotionally present and emotionally successful right we've eliminated that from our schools we've completely eliminated that and therefore why would it be important to do something that you love to do or that's fulfilling right or grounding that's huge yeah I mean as soon as I realized I didn't have to be stuck within four walls that feeling of liberation was amazing so, I, I guess I would say that this industry really hits on, you can be super creative, you have to be highly intelligent, whether it's your outdoor classroom, it cultivates compassion for the earth. This industry is going to be the industry that heals the earth.
0: We're done! <laughs> Um, no, okay, I do have one more. In life, in general, what is one thing that you find inspiring or that has inspired you?
1: What I really think is so cool, like, plants talk to each other. They feel. They have a deeper understanding of what's going on than we do. And I think if we can tap into that deeper knowing, then we've done our job. Like, if we can learn to communicate with the environment the way that the trees communicate with each other, then we have half a
0: chance. Yeah. I'd like to thank my guest and you. Thank you so much for joining me. To learn more, visit our website at growingfuturesri.org. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We hope you'll continue to join us on this journey because Growing Futures Rhode Island wants to help people launch careers that are both good for them and the land they care for. We love hearing your feedback, so reach out to us with questions, comments, and suggestions for future podcasts at growingfuturesri.org. That's growingfuturesri.org.